This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. back to the Swamp 24-7 Podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Goldcamp. I'll be shooting today's episode solo. My co-host, Blake Alderman, was in Gainesville this weekend to check on a couple of official visitors that visited for the Vanderbilt game. Uh, and as you guys know, the official visitors tend to stay on campus until Sunday before they fly out or drive out, however they're doing it. So Blake wanted to remain on campus today to catch a couple of those guys as they leave their official visits. And he'll have updates on those guys at Swamp247.com, so be sure to visit the site today. Check out those updates on recruiting from a, a homecoming game that Florida managed to win 42-0. Maybe not quite as um, impressive a showing as, as many Florida fans had hoped to see, but we'll get into that, and we'll talk about that on today's show. I do want to say uh, one thing real quick. I may have to dip out momentarily. Uh, my dog had a double tooth extraction about three weeks ago, and uh, one of the suture areas is not quite healing up right. So I dropped her off this morning waiting for the vet to call me back. Um, so if I do have to temporarily pause in the middle of the episode, I do apologize for that. Um, but, you know, for those of you that are listening on um, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever, YouTube, uh, it'll probably be edited mostly out by the time you get to it. So anyway, let's get to the Florida Vanderbilt game. I want to say, first and foremost, I think I probably made a little bit of a mistake last week following the Kentucky game. On the podcast, um, I think having had time to kind of reflect on it now, I think I was a little bit overreactionary in terms of picking up a second loss for Florida. I know a lot of people going into that Kentucky game circled that as a game that could potentially be tricky for Florida. Obviously, I was not one of those people. Um, And I think that was part of the reason my reaction focused a lot more big picture, kind of narrative of the program, where things are headed under Dan Mullen, why the loss was concerning from the standpoint that you know, trajectory-wise, it looks like maybe Florida is has kind of topped out or leveled out on its trajectory instead of continuing to climb past that New Year's Six level. But I, I do think there's not not that there's not merits to what I was saying last week, but I do think it's important to not just take a big picture view, but also to look at kind of the actual game itself. And and not to say we didn't do that some against Kentucky in terms of the breakdowns. Obviously, a lot of that boiled down to penalties. Um, but I think now that Florida has two losses, now that they're in kind of that position where, you know, Georgia has even taken care of Auburn at this point, one of the tougher teams left on their schedule, it it's less of a foregone conclusion that the SEC East is going to Georgia at this point. I think that's fairly safe assumption, or if not Georgia, then Kentucky. I mean, Kentucky knocked off LSU last night, uh, and they're still unbeaten in league play. So, you know, Florida for all intents and purposes, is probably out of the SEC East race. And so from a big picture standpoint, we weren't wrong on any of that. But you don't want to get to a point where you're in early October and and you're kind of writing off the season entirely. And obviously, we wouldn't want the Florida Gators to do that. Uh, Fans wouldn't want them to do that. And, and, you know, certainly anybody that's 
invested in this program and kind of pulling for this program is going to be there the rest of the season to see how kind of things play out the rest of the way. And so I think it's important for us to not ignore the big picture context of where things are at in year four, but make sure that we are talking kind of on a week to week basis, seeing what, you know, maybe are things that can be improved week to week, uh, kind of get a handle on who this Florida team is for 2021, and then also apply that to going forward in terms of, you know, here's the things that we can build on. Here's the things that need to be fixed, either via recruiting, via staff changes, whatever it may be. Uh, but very much, let's let's kind of refocus and take the look at each individual game. And so I want to go back and clarify, kind of relook through some of these things in the the lens of the Vanderbilt game. And I think first and foremost, this probably just isn't Dan Mullen's most talented team at Florida. And I think if you told a lot of people that before the season, they'd probably agree with you. You know, a lot of people looked at Kyle Trask leaving, Kyle Pitts leaving, Darius Tony leaving and said, hey, we're going to have a little bit of a rebuild probably here in year four under Dan Mullen. I think when you looked at it, this was probably the in-between year from, you know, Emory Jones gets that transition to the starting quarterback and either he's really clicking by the end of the year and you feel really good going into 2022 or, um, you know, he doesn't play as well. Anthony Richardson takes over. And so you're building with not so much a first year starter at quarterback. I think that was kind of the thinking. And for Florida to be here at four and two now, they're not probably too, too far off of that expectation. Again, I do think the concern that it spirals into more of a worst case scenario than a lot of fans saw before the season is still there. Um, but bottom line is this isn't Dan Mullen's most talented team. So how does this team kind of progress forward, fix the issues that they have on a week to week basis? And where does that leave them going forward? Um, we'll talk about that. I think a lot of that probably does start with QB. You know, when you talk about a rebuilding year, Nine times out of 10, when you do that, it's because you're replacing a starting quarterback or you have so many losses on one side of the ball that you can expect a step back. And, you know, I think there's times that Emory Jones has done things really well. I think there's times he hasn't done things well. Um, but you're seeing that step back a little bit, especially with, um, you know, some other areas of the team that maybe aren't real strengths. And I think to me, what you see, especially in games like this Vanderbilt game, is it's almost a microcosm of that, right? Where last year, Florida had an offense that could power them through a lot of mistakes, a lot of areas on the team that were weak elsewhere. And you saw that even with the defense. Now, last year's offense wasn't able to fully overcome that. And I, I don't know that this year's Florida team has a weakness as big as last year's defense. I think the defense this year has been much improved. We'll talk about that some on this episode of the podcast. But the bottom line is they don't necessarily have that top-notch unit like the offense was last year to push them over the top. And so some of what you're seeing is some of these inconsistencies even game to game, right? You go through the first two games of the season and Florida's defense kind of looks like the same old, same old. You know, missed tackles really hampering. The defense kind of gives up a lot against FAU and USF. And you're sitting here thinking... You know, I mean, let's be honest, we were talking about it even on this show that maybe the defense hasn't come along far enough. Ultimately, that decision to retain Todd Grantham was going to fall on Dan Mullen. Well, guess what? You know, the defense started off kind of shaky. Now they're looking like maybe a more improved unit. The O-line, on the other hand, started off kind of mauling teams through the early part of the season, even probably through that Alabama and Tennessee game. But they're starting to get banged up. And now you're seeing some of the preseason concerns of, of depth coming into play. And I thought in this Vanderbilt game, if there was one thing you'd circle as kind of a big concern going forward, it's the O-line. Richard Garage did not play at left tackle. I thought Michael Tarquin had done a really, really good job on the right side filling in in the last week or two. 
but I didn't think he handled the the switch to left tackle quite as well. It was to the point that it, it, at least somebody else in the UF media corps felt the same way because they asked Dan Mullen about it. And he said after the game, he's going to have to see the tape. I'll be honest with you. I have yet to rewatch the game. So I also don't know. That's kind of an initial impression for me. But I felt like you started to see Florida's depth on the offensive line exposed a little bit more. Kingsley went down again at center in this week. That's that's two games now that he's been in and out of. So Richie Leonard gets some run. To me, that's kind of the cutoff that we've I've identified on on the offensive line. You didn't know quite how deep Florida was going into the season. The fact that Josh Braun, the fact that Michael Tarquin didn't really push, you know, a Stuart Reese or a Gene Delance for their starting job was where some of the concerns popped in going into the season with the O-line. After the, the Tennessee game, I thought you were probably about seven deep and you felt comfortable with that. You know, your, your O-line may not be quite as dominant as it was in the first four weeks, but you can still get by with Josh Braun and Michael Tarquin having a start if that's the case. I think that line, though, ends probably at seven, at least for now. I don't think Richie Leonard is going to be quite um, ready to handle a starting role at center. And so I think you're starting to see the O-line emerge now as a bit of a potential problem spot for Florida. When you couple that with the concerns that we have at quarterback, which I think are valid, you couple that with at least not knowing if you have kind of elite talent at receiver, Jacob Copeland, I think a lot of people thought he'd have more of a breakout year, hasn't really materialized. Justin Shorter's been incredibly quiet for a former five-star prospect who is his size, has his kind of length and athleticism. You know, Trent Whittemore has had some ups and downs, you know, some 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 really good plays, I thought, in that Vanderbilt game. And, you know, you have some guys that can make plays. I think the question mark is whether or not you have those elite types like Kyle Pitts like Kadarius Tony, those real game breakers. And so when you talk about having so many different areas of the team that, you know, maybe they're not real liabilities, but they're not necessarily pure strengths either. That's where you see Florida start to kind of get back into this inconsistent approach. And I think that's that's one of the biggest things you see with this Florida team so far. And And I'll try to hone it really in on year four, but it is also part of the bigger picture narrative with Dan Mullen is there's a little bit of inconsistency, right? And Florida, you know, has enough talent that when everybody is at least playing a B game on all, you know, all phases of the game, Florida, for the most part, is going to be able to go out there and beat teams like Kentucky, like Tennessee, pretty handily, right? The big question is what happens if it's getting B games against super quality opponents like Alabama? I think you can probably make the argument you know, against the Alabamas and Georgias this year, that that B game may not be enough, that Florida needs its A game in those matchups against the elite talents uh, to really be able to pull things off. And furthermore, if Florida's not getting a B game against some of these kind of middle tier teams, and, and that's unfair to Kentucky to still lump them in there. I'm still TBD a little bit on how good Kentucky is. Um, so I'm probably selling them a little bit short, throwing them into that mix. Um, but you really need things to go pretty wrong to lose those kind of games. And you can look back to last week and know that that's true against Kentucky. I mean, you needed 15 penalties. You needed a blocked field goal. There was a lot that had to go wrong. But in years where Florida doesn't necessarily have that overpowering strength like last year's offense, this is probably who you're going to be unless some things change with the program bigger picture. And I want to give a shout out to a guy that I've been following for years on Twitter uh, I believe he goes by year two on Twitter. David Wonderlick is the guy's name. He's he's a uh, an excellent, excellent blogger, often pr- provides 
ton of really, really good insights that I think sometimes even the beat guys just don't even hold a candle to this guy. Um, very, very infrequently overreacts and does a great job putting the context of the bigger picture in with the individual games. And I actually thought after that Kentucky game, he kind of nailed it when it comes to Dan Mullen. And one of the reasons that, you know, that Kentucky loss was so frustrating, one of the reasons that so many fans are frustrated with Dan Mullen is because of the margin for error that has been built into the program, right? And what David Wonderlich was pointing out on this is great programs eliminate as much of the things that come in and take away your margin for error as they possibly can, right? So Nick Saban, how does he get rid of his margin for error? Well, he recruits better than anybody in college football, right? And when you have the most talent on the field, if you have a guy that's not performing at left tackle or whatever, you can try the next guy. And, you know, he may not have the experience yet, but he's got the raw talent to really kind of make up for it, right? You can cover a lot of deficiencies that way. Um, another way to do that, you get a game-breaking QB like Florida had last year with Kyle Trask. That can cover a lot of deficiencies, right? The, the, the issue I think a lot of people take with Dan Mullen and his approach to the program in those twofold kind of recruiting and staff loyalty topics are that those are areas that are seemingly pretty identifiable for fans where you could expand that margin for error if you were maximizing your potential in those areas, right? If Florida was recruiting as well as the University of Florida can possibly recruit, and I'm talking about the University of Florida, not Dan Mullen, right? Then your your chances are going to be a lot better, right? Urban Meyer recruited pretty darn near close to as good as you can recruit at UF. And his talent made up for a lot of the deficiencies that you saw. Dan Mullen's not going to be able to recruit to that level, but I think a lot of people feel Dan Mullen could still recruit better, that Dan Mullen could still pull in an assistant or two that could help him on the recruiting trail, maybe at the expense of a little bit of a development. But I think a lot of people are feeling that Florida isn't quite hitting that you know, min-max balance within the program. And I thought David Wanderlich... I'm just going to go ahead and encourage you guys to go try to find that piece and read it. Uh, I forget exactly what the title was called, but if you Google David Wonderlich margin for error, Dan Mullen, you'll probably find it. It's an excellent, excellent piece. And it gets into, I think part of why I went on that rant a little bit last week um, and let frustration bleed over into evaluating the week to week. So I do think those are valid concerns for the program going forward. I think unfortunately, it's hard to kind of shift gears midseason, right? So like we knew that Florida was probably a rebuilding team to a certain degree coming into the season. Yet when you see them kind of play Alabama to two points, it's easy to forget that and kind of say, hey, we, maybe we can take the next step this year. And I don't think fans are wrong for getting to that place. I don't think the media is wrong for, for going that direction. I do think it's important that we, now that it's in hindsight, that was a little ahead of the horse kind of deal and florida does have some legitimate problems and this was a year that maybe you expected some of those right so bottom line for me is this is a it's kind of a bad year for florida just in terms of things probably didn't play out the way florida wanted to against kentucky in the past it happened um you're in a season now where georgia's gonna probably win the east okay it's probably just gonna happen i think again going back to that margin of error topic is when you're talking about coaches in the SEC, you only get so many shots to kind of get your breakthrough, right? And I think a lot of fans felt like as much as this year is kind of a bad year for Florida, given the talent that Georgia has across the board, they seem to have the defense playing as well as it's ever played under Kirby Smart. They went into the year with kind of an answer at quarterback with JT Daniels. And obviously it hadn't played out that way now with with his injury. 
Um, but this was a year when you looked at it on paper that probably it was more going to be George's year, right? Last year, I think what was so frustrating about not being able to punch through and dropping games like the LSU game, the Oklahoma game, that was probably Florida's year to go get it. You know, you had all the circumstances of a pandemic um, taking away a huge chunk of the offseason, taking away spring practice for many teams. Well, the teams that were most equipped to, to withstand that were the teams that had senior quarterbacks that had been in the offense before, teams that were pretty veteran, which Florida was. And Florida couldn't take advantage of those circumstances, right? So as you look at it, yeah, this is probably just a down year for Florida. But I think that is part of where the frustration came in for a lot of fans and probably still exists. Having said that, let's talk more about where this Florida team is. And uh, I'll get more into quarterbacks on the second half of the show because I have some thoughts on the way that quarterback situation played out yesterday against Vanderbilt. And I I really want to get into that. But... I think first off, you know, it would be disingenuous to act like the defense hasn't really, really improved for Florida. Now, again, back to the kind of Jekyll and Hyde part of Florida in the first half against Vanderbilt, that defense looked really, really shaky at points, right? They gave up 144 yards. Vanderbilt kind of moved the ball at different times. And, you know, when that's happening for Florida, it it can feel like everything's going wrong. Like this team, you know, they're losing it. They don't have it, whatever. Um, But I do think you know, the defense has, has by and large been pretty good. Now, is that sustainable against the elite teams? I think that's to be determined. You know, I think the Alabama game was a positive indicator that maybe it can be. Uh, on the flip side, you can see things like the way the Vanderbilt game started and sometimes seems things just seem still a little bit too easy to manufacture against Florida's defense. So um, I do think the secondary is coming along. I think that's something that continues to show up week to week. I think Jason Marshall is playing really, really, really well at cornerback right now. I think he's one of those guys that, you know, maybe Florida's just had some guys in the secondary the last couple of years. He's a guy that I think is going to be one of your your next Kyrie Elam types, those, those typical Florida DBs we're used to seeing. Um, not quite as sure about that on some of the other guys in the secondary. You know, Rashad Torrance is a guy I think is starting to put himself maybe into that conversation. Uh, I don't know that I go as far as I as I feel with Jason Marshall. And part of that is Jason Marshall has, you know, one less year of experience. So you're you're anticipating some of the raw stuff you're seeing now will carry over even more as he continues to build experience, whereas Torrance is already in year two. So, you know, where's the ceiling at? I'm not sure it's quite as high, but 15 tackles yesterday against Vanderbilt was all over the field. Very, very sound tackler to me, is starting to play quicker. I think you're seeing a lot of upside from the defense. I really do. Uh, you know, Florida lucked out, I think, a little bit with trading, not getting tossed late. That could have been an issue next week against Kentucky for for targeting, but got out of there fine. So, I, you know, as far as positives you take away from the Vanderbilt game, I do think that secondary continues to improve. I think that's a unit that is has really, really gotten a lot better. And we've talked about quarterback a lot. We've talked about the big picture. We've probably not been diligent enough in giving this defense the credit it, it deserves so far. And I caveat that as so far because the next two weeks are going to tell us a whole lot about whether that's sustainable. So um, as far as the Vandy game, real quick before we dive into the quarterback situation, I, I think going into this game, it was kind of a no-win situation for Florida. And you know the fact that Blake and I didn't even really talk much about Vanderbilt on the podcast leading in. It tells you about you know what that game was. Florida was a 39-point favorite. Uh, really, there's only bad things that could come out of that, right? Like even if you come in and blow the doors off Vanderbilt, it doesn't really create probably a whole lot of momentum other than 
you know, getting out of the loss column, moving into the win column and getting hopefully a little bit of momentum. But unfortunately, due to the injuries and everything, kind of just a ho-hum Vanderbilt game. Maybe, maybe not exactly what you wanted. And I think when you're talking about not exactly what you wanted, a lot of fans wanted to see a little bit of a different mix at quarterback. So let's take a quick commercial break, and then we'll be back right on the other side of this break. I want to talk about the quarterback situation. I want to talk about how Dan Mullen has handled Anthony Richardson and how that's playing out. I don't necessarily um, have a a firm take on how it should happen, but I'm more going to give you my idea of why what's playing out is playing out and maybe what Dan Mullen is getting out of it. So right after this commercial break, we'll be back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, Well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp. We're talking a little bit of Florida at this point. Um, Again, not talking a ton of specifics about Vanderbilt, but this is an instance where we can talk about some of those kind of details of how Saturday's homecoming game played out. Florida wins 42-0, to zero, but I think a lot of fans left a little bit disappointed that they didn't see more of Anthony Richardson. I think many fans felt like, especially with on the road at LSU coming up next week with a, a bye week and then the Georgia game looming at the end of October, that this Vanderbilt team, this Vanderbilt game was the perfect opportunity to get Anthony Richardson a lot of snaps and a lot of work in the passing game, kind of with the full offense. Now, how it played out, unfortunately, because of the way Florida started, the game was a lot closer, potentially, than it looked, even on the scoreboard in the first half. And I think the offense kind of being a little inconsistent, you know, Florida comes out, I think they scored touchdowns on their opening two drives, and then the offense kind of sputtered a little bit. Um, you know, Anthony Richard, Anthony Richardson checks in with his third drive, unfortunately tries to force a pass, uh, on his third, first throws is hit as he throws and intercepted, comes back in the next drive goes three and out. So the offense was kind of out of sync a little bit. And I think there was, there was two lines of thought here. One, I think from a lot of people that Anthony Richardson should get more reps because, they'd like to see him emerge as the quarterback of the future, right? They, a lot of people think 
that Emory Jones is pretty limited at this point. And I, I kind of agree with that. I think Emory Jones, you know, I have trouble with it. And I, I talked about this on Twitter a good bit last week. The, the hard part for me is, is like last week against Kentucky, it's hard to lay a bunch of the blame at Emory Jones's hands. Now, I do think some of the offensive game plan against Kentucky and the conservative play calling, if you will, from Dan Mullen was because of Emory Jones being a little bit limited as a passer. So there's kind of the argument that Emory is limiting the offense. There's part of the, the, the argument that the offense is, is kind of geared towards what he can do effectively. Um, and for the most part, I think in the Kentucky game, he more or less did what he was expected to do within the calls that Dan Mullen let him have. But my take is coming out of this Vanderbilt game where Dan Mullen really opted to stick with Emory Jones through the fourth quarter. I mean, I saw people tweeting when Florida was up 28-0, guys on the UF media beat, you know, uh, it's time for Anthony Richardson, right? Time to get him involved, time to, you know, get him more comfortable before we go into these next two big games. And there was part of me that agreed with that, and there's part of me that says, man, Emory still really needs that work in the passing game because Dan Mullen's going to stick with him, right? Like, I think it should be clear to everybody at this point that Dan Mullen is fully pretty much committed to Emory Jones as his starting quarterback this year. And I think what we've seen out of Anthony Richardson the last two weeks probably gives you a better indication of why that's the case. I think Anthony Richardson, you haven't seen the explosives from the first two games, and I don't think that's really related to his hamstring. Uh, I think, you know, I mean, some things just hit in the first two games that that haven't yet against better teams like Kentucky, like uh, Tennessee. So I guess, um, where was I going with that? Um, so anyway, the, it seems abundantly clear to me that, that Dan Mullen has picked Emory Jones as his guy. He's going to be the starter the rest of the way, including in these big games against LSU and Georgia. Not that Anthony Richardson can't get more involved in those games. I do think he will be. But I think you're seeing, you know, Dan Mullen knows Emory Jones is a little limited and he still believes Emory Jones is his guy. Uh, we can talk a little bit going forward about whether or not that's a decision made out of stubbornness or what it is. I will touch on that briefly at the end. Um, but I think I, I do think there's probably a little bit of a disconnect between the work that Anthony Richardson got yesterday and what fans think that he got out of that and not just Anthony Richardson, but also Dan Mullen, what they got out of that limited set of work versus um, what Florida probably actually got out of it. Right. So, so fans see Anthony Richardson really doesn't go in till late in the fourth quarter. And this is just my opinion. This could be very wrong. Uh, but I think the the impression from fans is that, you know, Dan Mullen really, really sticks with Emory Jones until it's 42 to zero. I believe Emory even got a drive once it was 42 to zero um, in the game. And so a lot of people are looking at that like one, um, why risk injury to Emory? But two, let's get Anthony Richardson some reps. I think Dan Mullen, one, was trying to work on Emory Jones in the passing game because he still knows that Emory Jones is going to be his guy to get 80, 85 percent of the snaps going forward. Right. And he needs him to be better in the passing game. But I also think for Dan Mullen, what we've heard from him throughout the season when it comes to Anthony Richardson, especially in those first two games when he was making all those explosive plays was, yeah, you guys are seeing the explosive plays, but you're not seeing some of the, the checks that he's supposed to make at the line of scrimmage, some of the decisions he's supposed to make, identifying the defense pre-snap and then adjusting his decision accordingly. And I, I don't think that's just idle talk from Dan Mullen. Now, 
was that sort of misleading in terms of the comments when Anthony Richardson only gets in for a couple plays and almost all those plays are explosive plays? Probably. I think what you're hearing is more Dan Mullen seeing those kind of things in practice. And I think what we've seen from Anthony Richardson the last two weeks is, you know, you're seeing that show up a little bit more in games where if there's not the explosive play, the offense really isn't doing a whole lot, right? And that's the concern. I think that um, that's probably what Dan Mullen's seen all along. And I I think for Dan Mullen, that that part of evaluating pre-snap, of diagnosing the defense and making those right checks, to me probably are more important and tell him more important about a more more important factors about a quarterback uh, than maybe just the end result of the play, right? Dan Mullen wants his quarterback to be able to command the offense. And if you can't step to the line, see the numbers in the box, see the coverage, and kind of un- unwrap that coverage by moving a guy in motion and then checking the play to whatever, you know, Dan Mullen builds options into these plays a lot of times where, okay, if you see this, here's where you're checking to. And if Anthony Richardson can't do that on a consistent basis, it's hard to try to make that shift that fans want to see towards him getting 50% or more of the snaps and then ultimately becoming the starter. Now, how's that going to happen unless you get those reps? That's a fair argument too. But I do think when you see Anthony Richardson go in there in the fourth quarter and mostly hand it off, mostly um, you know run a zone read play here or there, I, I do think that's valuable work for Dan Mullen. Now, is it as valuable as potentially just handing Anthony Richardson the reins? That's an argument I don't think you're ever going to fully know the answer to. It's just hard to tell, right? It's a complete hypothetical. But I think Dan Mullen's history building up young quarterbacks is very much, I mean, this isn't specific to Anthony Richardson, right? And so fans see it as Emory Jones maybe doesn't have the upside to win his championships. You're still seeing the limitations even against teams like Vanderbilt from time to time. Uh, Despite a career high day, despite a couple throws that had better touch, you still see some head scratching decisions like the interception he threw um, and, and a couple other, I mean, just missed throws, right? I mean, you're living with some of that inconsistency right now because Emory Jones is the guy that Dan Mullins identified as the starter. But do you need to? And, and fans would like to see long-term a shift to a guy who probably has a higher ceiling. But I think in the interim, you know, if they can't control that offense, Dan Mullins is just not going to make that switch. And so where we're at right now with 2021 Florida is – Dan Mullen's going to do the exact same thing that he did with Emory Jones, right? Emory Jones, when he was the backup for Kyle Trask, there wasn't the dynamic of, you know, could Emory Jones potentially emerge as the starter because nobody had questions about Kyle Trask's ceiling, right? Kyle Trask was playing at a super high level. Um, But even doing that, and even in games where Florida had leads and Emory Jones came in as the backup, you saw a lot of the similar stuff. Why won't he let Emory throw? You know, why is he just running up there and doing the, you know, handing the ball off or running zone read? I think it's exactly what we just talked about is those pre-snap checks, those pre-snap reads for a quarterback are so important to Dan Mullen in feeling like he can trust the quarterback, right? And you're seeing it now. Emory Jones has gotten much, much better at that. And I can you can point to examples. I can't point to as many, but there's usually two to three I can point to within a game where I'm able to count up, okay, uh, you know, Kentucky's only got five in the box here. Florida's got a numbers advantage, and you'll see Emory walk up to the line, check it, and they'll run into the advantageous situation. Those are the kind of things, in my opinion, that most likely aren't happening enough with Anthony Richardson. That's why you're not seeing him get more run. But I do think those are things he's being evaluated on in that fourth quarter against Vanderbilt 
when a lot of fans think, you know, Florida's just trying to run out the clock and they're not giving him a real look. Now, because of Dan Mullen's personality, I know some people believe uh, there's an element of stubbornness to it, and they'll point to the unwillingness or the the slowness of changing the the approach in recruiting. Um, they'll they'll point to the staff loyalty and sticking with guys like Todd Grantham, you know, when a lot of people wouldn't. And they'll point to that and say, well, Dan Mullen is a little bit stubborn on this quarterback thing, wants to prove that he's the QB whisperer and, you know, can make Emory Jones into a, you know, a winning quarterback, championship quarterback. I really don't think that's the case. I really don't. Like, I, at least I don't think that's the, like, would Dan Mullen like that to happen? Absolutely. Like, sure. hundred percent. Dan Mullen obviously wants all his quarterbacks to be successful. Is he wanting that at the expense of Florida potentially maximizing its on-field results? Come on, guys. I just, I really don't believe that. You know, I, I understand that Dan Mullen can rub people the wrong way sometimes, but I truly do believe, I, and I said this last week, I'm, it's hard for me to question Dan Mullen when it comes to quarterbacks, and that's not that he can't make a mistake. I don't believe he's infallible, but I do think when you look at his track record, I think you can explain what's happening now with Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson when you evaluate what are Dan Mullen's primary objectives with developing the quarterback position, right? Number one, I think, or, or 1A, 1B in that, you don't want a quarterback to lose confidence. And Dan Mullen has repeatedly said throughout the years, he likes to give guys a little bit at a time, a little bit, stuff they know that they've seen in practice that they can handle. And they only very slightly will push past that in games to get them in, in a comfortable spot, right? They just they're not gonna try to with a redshirt freshman quarterback put him in a situation where things could unravel. Now, the weird part is Anthony Richardson, I think after those first two games, was extremely confident. So confidence probably not a huge factor there, but this is just the way Dan Mullen develops quarterbacks. And I think even though it seems like Anthony Richardson wasn't necessarily given a lot to be evaluated on, I think there was a lot of important work he did. I, I do plan to ask Dan Mullen about this on Monday, about whether or not, you know, that's kind of what's going into it, how much he can really evaluate from what Richardson got. But I do think that's what you're seeing. I think this 2021 Florida team, where I probably have issue with the way the quarterback situation is being handled, is somewhat more semantics than anything, right? I think a lot of a lot of Florida fans want to see Anthony Richardson become the guy, shift to him. You know, even if not as the full-time starter, as a guy that's getting closer to 50% of the reps at quarterback. For me, if you think Emory Jones is the guy that's going to operate the offense the best, run the offense the best, I don't have a problem with him being the starter. What I do have a problem with is Anthony Richardson not getting more than, you know, a couple snaps a game, right? And I'm talking about this guy is such a good athlete that if you put him out at receiver, in my opinion, just athlete-wise, he may be one of your top three playmakers at receiver right now, right? As a runner, he's an extremely difficult to bring down runner. So as a pure athlete, Florida's at the point now where it's at four and two. The SEC East probably really isn't on the line, right? So, you know, yes, you have to worry about having a competent backup QB available, but this isn't like a championship season goes in the tank if you know, you're playing Anthony Richardson as more of a skill guy than a quarterback along with Henry Jones and one of them gets hurt, right? Not ideal, but like to me, the concerns about protecting the quarterback, the backup quarterback, whatever, 
to me, that's a, an invalid concern at this point. I wouldn't be worried about it. And Anthony Richardson's such a good athlete. To me, he's got to be on the field, right? So however those snaps happen, whether or not they're at quarterback and shifting to more of a 50% split for Richardson at quarterback, I don't think that's going to happen. But I think you can get Anthony Richardson more involved without doing that. And I think it would be helpful to the offense. I think it would be helpful to um, the chemistry of the team at this point. I, I think you do have to worry about where Anthony Richardson's head's at. And I think he's a local guy. I think he's very bought into the team concept. And I think um, you can listen to his comments from the first few weeks about supporting Emory when he was kind of, you know, going through it to, to feel like, you know, Florida's got some, some really quality guys on its team. But Emory Jones did say after the game, he went up to Anthony Richardson in the locker room, gave him a big hug, said, hey, man, I've been there. I know what you're going through, where the fans want to see you more. You feel like you're not getting a whole lot. But there's a method to this, right? And I went through it, and it's not easy, but you will get to the place you want to be. Emory Jones told us that after the game, that he had that conversation with Anthony Richardson. And so I think, you know, as long as Dan Mullen has a good pulse on that and is continuing to keep Anthony Richardson in the loop, I think so long as you don't risk a transfer there, I don't think there's any real issue with the way that Florida's trying to build it up. I just think they need to get Anthony Richardson more involved. If you don't want to play him at quarterback in your damn Mullen, that's fine. That's fine. Don't put him in there. But you can you can run him in there as a slot receiver, a gadget guy. I don't care what it is. Build some stuff in there for Anthony Richardson the next two weeks so that he's playing a minimum of like 10 to 15 non-garbage time snaps. And really, I'd like to see it closer to 20. Because I'll be honest with you, Florida's got a lot of guys at receiver. I don't see a whole lot of difference makers. Pull one of those guys off the field and work Anthony Richardson in. Like, figure something out. You can't tell me that Florida hasn't built some stuff specifically in for him, specifically for these bigger games. I mean, you look at what Emory Jones did as a freshman in 2018 against Georgia. They built in some wrinkles off him. He got a deep throw and, and took advantage against Georgia. So I'm sure that Florida's been working on some of that for Anthony Richardson. Let's see how Florida uses him the next two games. Um, but I think when you're talking about Anthony Richardson, I think there's two lines of thought. One, I do think that Dan Mullen is getting valuable eval on him, stuff that he can work with off the film. Um, but I don't think fans are wrong for wanting to see him more. And I don't think that necessarily needs to come at quarterback. So that's my two cents. I, I think Emory Jones is 100% the guy the rest of the way. And I think where I'm at right now with the quarterback situation and this Florida team is they're limited. I mean, that's just who they are. This is a bit of an off year for Florida. We thought it kind of coming into the year. We got a little bit ahead of ourselves after that Alabama game. Um, but these next two weeks really can make or break the narrative, right? And I, we talked about the narrative a lot. The narrative does matter, right? And Florida may be a limited team. They may not win a whole lot of tangible things this year. You know, New Year's Six probably being the best you can hope for at this point. But you can continue to build and develop and and iron out a lot of the areas on the team, continue to build the defensive depths I talked about so that maybe next year that can be a real strength. Um, but the bottom line is I, I think Dan Mullen is handling this quarterback situation very similarly to almost every quarterback situation he's had. Fans want to see the backup quarterback, the guy that looks more explosive, looks like he has a higher ceiling. I think in the here and now, Dan Mullen doesn't see that as necessarily being a clear-cut answer to winning games this season, right? And we'll see how that plays out. We'll see where that leaves Florida at the end of year four. Um, but I think coming off this Vanderbilt game, I don't have nearly the level of angst that a lot of fans have. Um, and I think part of that is because you just you never were likely to get a whole lot 
out of that game, right? You just weren't. And so now you head into these two games where you will be able to take some things away against LSU, against a Tigers team that's kind of has the potential to implode. I mean, they've got a coaching problem on their hands that the fan base is readily discussing. You're playing at noon in Baton Rouge, so you got a favorable time slot. Florida needs to go in and take care of business. And then you have the potential to potentially change the narrative of the bigger picture going into that Georgia game. But the bottom line is I thought Florida did what it needed to do against Vanderbilt. It wasn't a perfect result. I do think that Anthony Richardson, it would have been nice if they could have executed a little more cleanly early on so he could have been involved more early. But that's kind of who Florida is right now, right? They're not a team that has an overwhelming strength in any one area. And if they did, it was the run game, the O-line, and that unit is now banged up. So I think you're going to see a Florida team that probably throughout the rest of the season has to probably scrap to win games. Well, the next two weeks are all about scrapping. They're all about trying to figure out a way to bring hopefully at least the B game across the board, if not better than that. You'll need better than that to beat Georgia. You can probably get away with a B-level performance against LSU, but you can't have any significant breakdowns like you had against Kentucky. The good news for Florida is they've had another week now. I think the emotions are probably a little bit more settled coming off that Kentucky loss. I know they are for me. (laughs) It took me a little bit uh, last week to kind of gather my thoughts. Um, But I think Florida in year four, you're probably not going to win a whole lot. These next two weeks, though, can, can tremendously alter the perception of where the program's at. And that is very important for recruiting. So we will talk about that on Thursday's episode of the podcast with Blake. He'll be back with me on Thursday. Again, he stayed behind in Gainesville. Uh, Well, not behind, I'm in Gainesville. Uh, But he's in Gainesville today, catching up with some of the official visitors from this weekend's homecoming weekend against Vanderbilt. So be sure to hit swamp247.com for recruiting updates on those official visitors. Blake will have all that today. We'll be going through the the Vanderbilt game and re-watching it on a play-to-play basis. Today, I'll be breaking down my thoughts like I always do. So be sure to check out Swamp247.com for that. We appreciate you guys tuning in. That will do it for today's episode of the Swamp 24-7 podcast. We'll see you on Thursday. all-star studded challenge ever and this time it's every competitor for themselves best challenge ever the challenge all-stars new season now streaming on paramount plus go to paramountplus.com to try it free terms apply